Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. We've been in a series where we're looking at the values of our church. And we're also challenging you to adopt these values, if you haven't already, in your personal life. I I think these are values that will make a difference. I think it'll make a difference in your personal life. I think it'll make a difference in your family life. I, I think it'll make a difference in your business life. These are values, in my estimation, that all of us should aspire to. For example, we said you, we should uh, uh, value our faith. Faith is foundational, faith is fundamental to everything we are, to all that we do. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, the Bible says there's no better foundation that can be laid than the foundation that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So your faith in Jesus ought to be the foundation upon which you build all of your life on. If you're building on anything other than him, you're building on something that will not stand the test of time. So much of life is transitory, so much of life is changing, so many things in life you just simply can't count on for the, for the long run, nothing lasts forever. And so when you consider what I'm building my life on, if I'm building on something that is driven by my emotion or something that is driven by my physical capability, then I'm building it on something that is not certain, something that can fall, something that can fail. But when I'm building my life on Christ, my faith in him, listen, everything else in your life can fall and fail, but if you're building on him, you can begin again. You're on a solid foundation. So we talked about the value of faith. Then we moved and we said, there's also the value of authenticity. How important it is that we are genuine that we are the authentic, uh, the the real deal. Uh, I think you should be real about our struggles. I think we should be real about our our failures. I think we should be real about our sinfulness. Sometimes I think in church we adopt the attitude or the idea that we are above the things that God has called us out of, and we're really not. We're susceptible to failure, and we're susceptible to sin. Uh, The best any of us will ever be, are you ready? The best you'll ever be, the best I'll ever be, is we're a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> now, that's not to excuse the mistakes that we make in life, but it's to understand it. Yeah, I've told you before, if you're praying for perfection, you ought to be careful about that, because the only time that's going to happen is when you're in heaven. So you ought to just ask God to forgive you and just cut to the chase. Uh, just ask God to kill you, rather, and cut to the chase. So there, there is this idea of authenticity. And then the third value, we said, is integrity. Integrity, remember, we get the idea of an integer, the mathematical term integer, a whole number, comes from the idea of integrity. It's the idea that we strive to be healthy and wholesome, we wanna be genuine, we wanna be um, uh, healthy in every aspect of life, spiritually, physically, uh, emotionally. And then we talked about the value of excellence. We said by definition the word excellence comes from the idea of excelling above average, And so that should be a goal in our personal life, family life, business life, certainly church life. And then last week, Mary talked about the value of community, how we are dependent upon one another. Let me phrase it differently. We are interdependent upon one another. God made us for relationship. The Bible says none of us lives to themselves alone. 
None of us die to themselves alone. Our, when he talks about the body of Christ, our, our entire body works off the principle of community. You know, the hand bone is connected to the arm bone, and the arm bone's connected to the shoulder bone, and, you know, the foot bone's connected, you know the little deal. Uh, so it's the idea that the body functions um, because it has community, it has a connection. Uh, it is the way whereby we receive ministry, it is a way whereby we give ministry. So we want you in community, we want you connected. I think that's a vital part, it's a value. And this weekend, I wanna talk about the value of generosity, how that is a value that we embrace. And I think all of us would agree that the happiest people, and I would go so far as to say the healthiest people, are people who understand the value of generosity. Now, generosity is really a spirit, it's an attitude. Generosity is when your son or daughter or your grandson or granddaughter colors you a little picture and they give you that, that's generosity. Generosity is also when you're in a restaurant and you see somebody over there and you just say, hey, let me get their check. Let me, let me cover that for them. That's generosity. Generosity is when you're in line at the grocery store and, and you see someone and maybe you can just tell they're struggling a little bit uh, to be able to make ends meet and so you just kind of step up and not to embarrass them, but just to try to bless them and say, could I, could I cover your groceries for you? That's generosity. Generosity is more than our resources, though it is our resources. Generosity is our love. Generosity is our time. Generosity is what we do to one another. Have you ever thought about it? God made us to be generous people. We ought to be loving. We ought to be giving. We ought to be generous in every area of our life. Our church functions because of generosity. We have so many people generous with their time generous with their talents, generous with their resources, just generous in every area of their life. I grew up, my parents modeled generosity for us kids. We saw uh, uh, unconditional love in our home. We experienced that in our life. We didn't always have a lot, but we had everything that we needed. And our parents were very generous with us as kids, and we were, we were taught generosity. When I was growing up, my mom and dad would give my sister and I, my brother was pretty young at, that, at, the, at, the, at this memory I have, uh, so he was kind of being pushed around in a stroller, but my sister and I were given a certain amount of money, and we lived not far from uh, Seminary South. Any of you old Fort Worth people remember that, that shopping center? Seminary South, it was down on Seminary 35 in South Fort Worth. And so it's still there, but it's called by another name. But then it was, I'd never seen it. That was so nice. It had a Striplings in there. It had a Murphy's in there. I mean, it had some amazing stores. And for Christmas, my mom and dad would give me a $20 bill and gave my sister a $20 bill. And we were allowed to go and shop, Christmas shop, for all of our family. Now I'm buying for my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, two sets of grandparents on 20 bucks. <laughs> You know, and I'm thinking, man, they are gonna love what I'm gonna buy them. I remember buy, buying my dad high karate. Huh? High karate. Any of you ever wear that stuff? I'm telling you, buzzards will circle you if you wear that stuff right now. <laughs> high karate. I was so proud of myself. I opened my, uh, that my dad opened that up, and I remember, <laughs> now I look back on it, it's even funnier. But at the time, you went, high karate. You know, like, Oh, where am I going to pour this out without him knowing? <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I bought my mom. My favorite gift I got her was a chrome butter dish. 
I thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. It was chrome, shiny. I looked at that, and I thought, this is amazing. And I was able, and, and listen, after I bought all those gifts, I was able to get myself some uh, malt balls at, at the candy store. Man, that was sweet Jesus. That was amazing. What's my point? My point is my folks didn't have a lot, but they wanted to teach us the value of being generous. And I remember at Christmas time, I was always excited to get what I got, right? But I was also excited to see my dad with his high karate and my mom with the chrome butter dish. I wanted to see him open that because there was a thrill in me giving as well as receiving. And then I was reminded of what Jesus said when he said, look, it's more blessed to give than receive. Now understand, he didn't say it wasn't blessed to, to receive. There's nothing wrong with receiving. He's just saying if you love receiving, you're gonna really love giving. And every parent in the room understands that. It seems like as you get older, kind of the joy of Christmas is now watching your kids and your grandkids experience what you've given to them. And guys, that's generosity. This is exactly what I'm talking about. God made us that way. He made us to be generous people, to be generous with our love and generous with our, our time and generous with our resources. And I really believe we are never more like our heavenly father than we are when, when we are, uh, when we're generous. In fact, if you have a Bible, look with me at our text in 2 Corinthians 9. And in this passage, he's talking about the value of generosity. And he's talking about this law of the harvest, where in the law of the harvest, the more generous we are, the more we can expect to receive in return. Uh, let me say it before I read this. I've given this to you before, but in the Bible, there is what we call a locked a locked-in law of likeness, all right? A locked-in law of likeness that says, whatever you want, you first give away. Um, uh, Proverbs 17, if a person will have friends, they have to first show themselves to be friendly. Think about it. Uh, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Bill, have you ever thought about it? The closest friends you have in your life today were at one time a stranger to you. But at some point in life, you made the investment in them you, you took time, you got to know them, and before you know it, you developed a, a camaraderie, a relationship with them, and now you would consider them your ride or die. Now you would consider them some of your closest people, your safe people, you've got those people in your life. Well, the reason you have them is because you first invested in them. So to be a friend, you have to, or to have a friend rather, you first are, you, you, you have to be a friend. I've told you if you try this experiment, when you leave in a little while, if you go somewhere to get something to eat, uh, just smile at the waiter, smile at the waitress. And again, don't, don't give them one of those cheesy, you don't know what I've been up to kind of grins, but, but be genuine, just be authentic. And nine times out of 10, you know what they'll do? They'll smile back. You say hello to someone, they're gonna say hello back. Why? It's the locked in law of lightness. It says whatever you want, give away. So he's teaching this principle of generosity and because they were largely an agricultural nation, he's gonna drop this into a farming analogy. And listen to what he says. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And then I love verse seven, you must each make up your own mind. And that's what it boils down to. Nobody's gonna know how generous you are with your time, with your talents, with your treasure. You, you've gotta to come to terms with what kind of level of generosity do I plan to, to live at? What is the level I wanna live on? How generous do I want to be? No one's gonna know. 
uh, when it comes to resources. I don't know what anybody gives in our church. I don't look, I've never known. That's why I can talk about being generous and I can smile and you can smile at me and I don't have a clue. <laughs> I have no idea, you know? Uh, you may have never given a dime to the church or you may have given $100,000, I, I don't know. Unless you let me know, I will not know because I don't look because I don't want to have that pressure on me and I don't want you to feel like I've got an angle or an agenda when I sp stand up to speak to you. There are people that look at it. You've got to track it for your uh, tax purposes and we have folks that do that. I don't do that. I'm just saying, I think when you talk about generosity, whether it's your time, whether it's your talents or it's your resources, it's a personal thing. It's between you and God. It's not my business. That's why I said, look at it, verse seven again, you must make up your own mind. There can't be somebody from the church that sits down with you and says, you know, based on this, I think you should give an order to come in about this level. You know, you say the builders are churches that do that. Yes, there are churches that do that. We've never been one of those. Uh, now, they bring in more money than we do, but we've never been one of those. I just, I just don't, I don't, that's not my level of comfort there. I think you must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. And then he goes on to say, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Now, let me stop long enough to say, my dad was good at pressure. I don't know how many of you ever heard my dad preach. I know Bill Cates did, and I've got a few of you in here heard my dad preach, and I'm telling you, I've told you before, I got some of his old preaching Bibles upstairs, and they're still smoking like nuclear reactors. <laughs> I'm telling you, he could light you up. And when it came to giving, oh my gosh. I remember in school, I wanted to invite my friends, and I'd say, I hope to God, this isn't the weekend he's talking about money. Please, God, don't let it. And my dad could talk about the cross and find out a way to talk about giving. You know, he'd bring that in some way and I'm there going, dear God. And the priests, all they talk about was money. Well, that's pretty much what my dad talked about a lot, you know. We, hey, he, he took two offerings one time in the same service. <laughs> I am not kidding you that we received the offering like normal. The ushers in the back that counted the offering brought him the offering total. He looks at the total, looks at the usher, looks at us and says, that ain't enough. <laughs> he says, boys, get the plates, distribute the plates. Folks, we're taking another offering. We can't meet budget like that. You couldn't do it, we can't do it. We took a second offering. I was going, dear God, how do I get out of here? Well, I gotta go home with that old man. I can't, I, where am I gonna go? But what it ended up doing, it ended up being a good example for me of a bad example. <laughs> I just said, I'm not gonna do that. I really think it has to come from your heart. Uh, generosity has to be something that you decide in your own heart what level you are at, and you and God is between you and he alone. And that's exactly, in my estimation, what this is saying. You don't give reluctantly or look in response to pressure. You don't give in response to pressure. And I, I just, thinking back as a kid when I was in the church and we did pressure, I don't think it really impacted overall the, the, the offerings increasing. I, I don't think it really did. I mean, he might have squeezed a little more juice out of that lemon while it was in the room, but once everybody was gone, it didn't increase the giving. Uh, it's like increasing the volume of what you say doesn't get you a better response out of the person you're saying it to. 
You know, my dad was, you know, he'd shout, he'd preach, and he'd, and I, I was telling some friends yesterday, I tried to do that when I started out. I thought preaching was you got loud and you shouted, and, my, and I love my dad. He was very gifted for that day. He was that type of communicator. Man, he could just, boy, raise his voice, and he just, you know, I, you know he, that was his style. So when I was a kid and I started out, I thought, well, that's how you preach. You gotta have these moments where you, ah, you know, you're loud and you're dynamic with your voice and just pretend you don't have a sound system. And so that's kind of that's how you did. So how that worked out for me is when I tried that, my voice would crack, you know? I, I, sounded, like, <laughs> I sounded like Mr. Haney on Green Acres. <laughs> that's a real thing, kids, you can Google that one. Where do you talk like that, Mr. Haney? And I'd come on, my voice would break. And I tried, you know, I just couldn't. And then I realized you have to have a certain degree of anger to talk to people that way anyway. And I couldn't get mad enough. I just couldn't get mad enough to want to yell at people. And, and here's another reason I didn't do it. Is you don't, you don't, you don't drive sheep. We're compared to sheep, we're not cattle. Now, if the Bible says all we like cattle have gone astray, if, if the Lord was called the, the good cowboy instead of the good shepherd, I'd get the analogy, because how do you move cows? You push them. You get behind them, you go, get out of here, dumb cow. You know, and I, no, I love cows, they're delicious. But the point is, you, <laughs> you, you have to push them. You have to push them. Uh, <laughs> but, but you don't do that with sheep. You know what happens if you get behind sheep and you yell at them and you try to, you scatter them. You scatter them. So in a church, we're called sheep. Well, if you're going to try to motivate people to the disciplines of God's word and to the values of particular generosity, you, you try to lead them in that. You try to be a good example of that and you try to teach them, but at the end of the day, <laughs> that's between them and God. That's, that's up to you. You have to decide, as he said, not out of pressure or don't do it reluctantly. And here's what he said. God loves a cheerful giver, somebody that is happy about doing it. And then notice the promise. God will then generously provide all you need. Then notice what he said. You will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now understand, that's not prosperity theology. I've heard so many guys that have taken that and just distorted it and really abused the principle of God's word. It's not prosperity theology. I don't know how God may choose to bless you if you're a generous person. I just know that he will bless you. I'm never one to stand up here like those guys say, send me a, you know, send me a, what is it? Send me a hundred bucks and God will bless you tenfold. I always say, why don't you send me the, the hundred bucks and let God bless you tenfold? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just reverse that thing. I, I, I just don't know what that looks like in your personal life, but I just know God will. He said in his word, he'll bless you. Maybe it's you, maybe, I don't know, maybe your clothes go longer. Maybe your car drives. I don't know. How, I, I don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Here's what I do know is you just count out and give God. When you bless others and you bless things he's blessing with your generosity, God says, I'm gonna take care of you, I got you. So whatever that looks like and however that works out, God has promised then to bless us. What I've found generosity really is, it's just love in action. It's just love in action. Somebody has well said, you can, you can give, you can be generous without loving, but you cannot love, you cannot love without being generous. Think about it in your own circle. You're most generous with the people you love most. There's not anything you would not do for the people you love most. 
when Cindy and I were, we were first dating, we're, we're 17 years old. And man, I, I really, I was making a little over $100 a week. Uh, yeah, I, I, I put some of that aside, I did. I mean, I put that in, I had some investments, man, 100 bucks a week. Car payment was 125 a month. Remember those glory days? Now that's what you pay to fill up your car nowadays. That's what our car payment was. Uh, I was driving my granddad's uh, 59 Ford pickup that he left me. Man, I wish I still had that truck, but anyway, I digress. Um, but I didn't take her out in it, and the reason I didn't take Cindy out in it, because there was a, <laughs> a spot on the floorboard on the passenger side where the, the, the floorboard had rusted through, so there was a hole. So I had my keep on trucking mats. Yeah, brothers, you remember those? I had my keep on trucking mat over the top of the hole, because when it rained, if you turn the wheel a certain way, you're gonna get a spray come up through there. <laughs> so your passenger's gonna be over there. Going, is it raining in here? No, put the trucking mats over the hole and you'll be good. So I wasn't about to take her out and say, honey, you're gonna have to put that mat over that hole, you know. So I borrowed my mom's car. She had a Buick Riviera. And I mean, woo, high tone, baby. We are, we are going out. And, and our first date was to the Japanese palace out on, I, uh, on uh, 80. That was our first date. Second date, a second date was to the Steak and L. Yeah, somebody told me they're coming back in Dallas. God, bring us the Kensington Club back in that salad bar. Can I have, boy, he's preaching now, isn't he? Woo, man. Well, that's good, Bill. Uh, but here, here's the deal. $9 for a steak. $9 is what that steak costs. So $18 tip and all. That's a pretty good chunk of my, of my, uh, my take home. When I talked to her grandpa one time, he told me, he said, love that, that, that gentleman. Old railroad man, he goes, son, I love how you take care of my granddaughter, but you could, you could take her places that are not quite as expensive as a steak and ale. You know that, right? And I said, yes, sir, I know that. He goes, now, <laughs> me and her grandmother go down to the rig. You ever been to the rig down here on? <laughs> Bill, 650 will get you the best steak the rig makes. Salad bar, you're out with tip. You're not even close to what you're spending on her. I, I was very sweet and kind to her, but I said, ain't taking her to the rig. <laughs> I'm trying to close a deal here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so the point I'm making is, I, as a kid, I didn't think about what I was spending on her because I was really learning to love that girl. And you guys, we all get that, right? I don't have to wear this out. We all get it that we're generous because, because we love. When you look in uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. I mean, God made us that way. When you think about it, even our bodies give and receive. Our heart is pumping and that, pump, that blood is giving and receiving, giving and receiving, giving. It's a cycle of life. So generous people are healthy people and generous people I've found are, are happy people. And let me, based on this text, just give you four thoughts to think about before we go. Number one, this first one, the Bible teaches from the law of the harvest that you'll always reap if you sow. You reap if you sow. It's, provi it's provisional. Here's what, here's what I know. I haven't counted them, but I'll take their word for it. They say there are 7,000 promises in the Bible. I've never counted them, but I'll take their word for it. Somebody did. 7,000. Now, here's what I know about God's promises. Every promise of the Bible has a premise. There's a premise with a promise. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, God always says, I will do this if 
you do that. Think about the promise of salvation. God says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, does that mean everyone will receive Jesus? Does that mean all will come into the kingdom one day? No. Well, the reason they're not going to be in the kingdom one day is not that God won't forgive them. It is not that God is not willing to forgive them. It's that they don't ask. The promise is based on the premise. God said, I'll save you and I'll forgive you. Just ask me, ask me. Call upon me, ask me, and I will then do that. Well, so when you think about the promises of God as it relates to generosity, it's all tied to the premise and the law of the harvest says, you reap if you sow. Every farmer will tell you that the way you get more seed is you sow the seed that you've got. If that seed is in the barn, in fact, there's a, there's a, a passage in Haggai, Haggai. Boy, now that's back where the pages of your Bible are stuck together. Haggai chapter two. And in Haggai chapter two, he says back in verse five or six, he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. God is saying, I own the earth. The, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And then on down, he was saying, the reason you're not reaping a harvest, and here's the question he asked, he said, you still have the seed in the barn. You haven't sown the seed. So he's saying that you're not reaping because you're not sowing. You have to, first of all, lay claim to the premise to receive the promise. You can't keep the seed in the barn. It'd be like a farmer showing up at church praying for crops in his field when he hadn't sown any seed in the field. So the, the, the expectation of a harvest is tied to the sowing. So you see the law of the harvest is as taught in the word. God has promised generosity for people who are willing to give. By the way, when you're generous, it's the best cure for materialism. Uh, we're, we're in a very materialistic world. I mean, probably the philosophy of the world could be summed up like this. Get all you can, can all you get, set on the lid, spoil the rest. <laughs> That's kind of the spirit of the world. And you see it in the people's attitudes. You ever uh, gotten yourself a new car? You got your, uh, a new truck? And you share that with your friends and automatically, immediately you sense, not everybody is as happy about your new car as you are. Have you found that to be true? Or you buy a new house and you're so excited about the new house and then they kind of look at you like, well, I'm glad somebody has something new. You get that, have you ever had that vibe? And you're like, wow, shouldn't you be, doesn't the Bible say rejoice with the people who rejoice and, and weep with the people who weep? I mean, shouldn't we be happy for everyone? I always want to say, I didn't buy the last truck. There are more out there. Go get yourself a truck. We didn't get the last house. There are houses out there. Go, just, just go, go get you one. Uh, God blessing one person is not at the expense of someone else. You're not diminished because someone else is blessed. God has promised to bless us and he has promised to return a harvest provided we have sown the seed. And it is really, guys, it is such a cure for materialism. Here's what the Bible says. Matthew 6, 24, it's not possible. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. Here's what will happen. If the pursuit is, is money, you'll, you, you'll use people and obtain money. If the interest is people, then you'll use money to benefit people. You see how that works? Uh, probably one of the most uh, misquoted verses in the Bible is 1 Timothy 6.10. 
You ever hear somebody say, well, you know, money's the root of all evil. You heard it quoted that way? Did you know that's not what it says? It doesn't say money is, a, money is not the root of all evil. Reread it. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the attitude about it. It's how you think about it. Remember I said generosity is an attitude, whether it's your talent or your time or your resources. Well, when it comes to your resources, it's an attitude. It, it's, listen, money is not, money is amoral. <laughs> um, the same $100 that can buy baby formula can buy drugs. It's what you do with your money. That's it. I mean, it's, money's neutral. It's, what I, it, it's my attitude. It's, it's what I'm willing to do to get it. Am I willing to take advantage of someone to, so I get it? Am I willing to lie to, to get it? So it's the love, of, it's the attitude. And then once I have it, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna lord over someone else? Or am I, you, know, you know what I mean? So it's all is tied. So that's what he was saying. He's saying the love of money, the lack of generosity is really at the heart of all that's wrong in our life. So first principle, you reap if you sow. Second principle, you reap what you sow. <laughs> you reap what, remember I said, want a friend, be a friend? You reap exactly what you sow. You plant apple seeds, you get apple trees. <laughs> Reaping is really precise and proportionate to the thing that we sow. Look, remember what he said in verse six, if you plant a few seeds, you get a small crop. You plant generously, you get a generous crop. In fact, in Luke 6, 38, he says, if you give, it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, overflowing. Think about how God created everything. In Genesis, God created everything. If you read Genesis 1, he created it with the seed in itself, meaning he created everything to reproduce. If the seed wasn't already in the thing God, let's use the apple. If the seed wasn't in the apple, then every time we ate apples and we ran out of apples, God would have to come back down and recreate apples. So he created this principle, this law of the harvest, this cycle, so that we never run out. So that as long as we're generous, we always have a supply. As long as we're sowing into the field, once we reap the harvest, we also reap seed for the next harvest. It's how God has set everything up. That, that's why, have you ever thought about, they call money, for example, currency. Currency, it's the idea that it moves, a current, it's moving. And everybody in the room knows with investments and whatever, you want your money working for you. You want your money moving because as your money is moving, it is working in your benefit. That's how God set everything up, not rocket science. He just set up the principle of resources, of generosity, so that we're, we're constantly moving so that we can please him and that we can bless uh, uh, other people. Here's a really good one. Generosity will increase the joy in your life. Acts 20, 35, the, the Lord Jesus, I gave it to you earlier, said it's more blessed to give than to receive. God is saying, man, as you become generous, God is going to give you so much more, so much more joy. Here's the third principle. <clears throat> so I've said what? First of all, I said you reap if you sow. I said if you reap what you sow. Here's the third principle. You reap later than you sow. It's not always immediate. It is not always automatic. There's not a farmer in the world, again, back to our narrative, who would expect an immediate harvest. Man, it's seasonal. You, you plow, you plant, you water, you fertilize, and then all of a sudden, when the time comes, you reap. It's only one of about five steps, but it generally comes about because there's an expectation in the law of the harvest that once I have sown, I will reap but I will always reap later than I have sown. 
Listen to Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. You've heard this. Cast your bread upon the waters and it will return after many days. Now study that because I wonder, what, did that, what does that really mean? And it was written at a time when they had the Nile River in mind and the Nile River would flood. And when the Nile River would flood, it would create along its banks these marshes, these marshes. And so what they would do is they would get in boats and they would sow seed into the marshy areas along the banks of the Nile. And then when the waters would recede, all of a sudden they had these abundant crops that would spring up all along the banks of the Nile. So the idea of casting among, on the water is an imagery of the Nile. In fact, it's carried over. I think Isaiah 23 carries the principle. Isaiah 32 carries the principle. It's the idea of the point. Don't miss the point. The point is you don't always get an immediate return, but God has certainly promised to bless you. Once you have sown, whether it's, again, your time, your talents, your treasure, he says you'll reap once you've sown. Here's the fourth point. You reap more than you sow. God will certainly bless you, and you'll reap more than you sow. You plant the apple seed, I'm back to that, and the trees grow, but there are hundreds of seeds in those apples because, again, that law of the harvest, God has planted it and designed it that way. And here's another thing I would tell you. It's not possible to ever outgive God. He has promised to bless us with time, with talent, with treasure, when we are generous. Let me give you this one. Matthew 6, 21, the Bible says, our generosity here on earth will be rewarded in heaven one day. Listen to what he said. Lay not up yourselves treasures, uh, rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys or where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's saying, look, when we are generous with one another, God is crediting us in heaven. When you take care of people, when you help the hungry and you help the poor, like the goal of our resource centers, just to continue to expand and do more for people who are hurting, I think God is obligated by his own word to bless our church in greater measure. I don't know what that'll look like. I don't know what it'll be like, but I know God's promised as we take care of the poor, as we take care of the hurting, as we take care of people who are going through seasons of life that are difficult, when we step up and we're generous with him, God's promised to bless us. You can't outgive him. Our missions team and our student ministry just got back from Belize. You know what they did? They gave. They went down, gave their time, they gave their talents, they gave resources to help people. And you know what's gonna to happen to those kids and those young adults and those uh, parents that went with them? God's gonna bless them. Why? The law of the harvest. <laughs> you just simply, you can't outgive God. He's a giver and he loves it. And, and what you're doing is not only are you making a difference in time, you're making a difference in eternity. He said, you're, you're laying up for yourselves treasure in heaven because you were generous with the things God gave you here on earth. And I'd give you another good reason to be generous now. Someone said, if I, if I give my money to my kids and I kind of designate it that way, that's wonderful. I pray they're blessed and they're taken care of. And the proverb says, a wise one, a wise person will lay up treasure for their children's children. So there is something about leaving something to your kids that's important, significant. And I, I think we all think about that when we're doing our planning for the future. But there's also something valuable about giving now. Someone said, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. <laughs> and there's kind of a value of that. 
I, I can tell you, I have, I have done, and I'm done now, so give me 60 seconds and I'll cut you loose. I have done literally hundreds of funerals. I was at a wedding the other day and somebody asked me, how many funerals do you think you've done? How many weddings? I said, honestly, I don't know. I started out in ministry again. You know the story. I was about 17 working for my dad. And I started then. I do remember the first funeral I ever did was for the baby of my cousin, the little one that, that died. That was a hard, that was, boy, that was a tough introduction into that phase of ministry. But I've done a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of funerals in my life. And the most divisive thing I've run into in funerals is over resources. Families fighting over, over money. I did one one time, I, honestly, they had to separate. They had part of the family, and I know they're not in the room now. They've been long gone, so I can tell this and not have to have somebody walk me to my truck. Uh, <laughs> part of the family was over here. Part of the family was out there. So I'm doing the funeral, I'm looking at this part over here, knowing they're hacked off at them. And I'm looking at this one, knowing they're, you know, it was the most awkward funeral I've ever been in. And they even had to have separate passing by the casket. They had to have separate. We had, we had to have some uh, officers from Fort Worth there, uh, chief, to actually um, make sure that <laughs> things didn't get out of hand. And uh, it was the most, uh, but you know what the issue was? I asked the funeral director, I said, what is going on? He said, they're fighting over the will. They're, they're fighting over the money, they, they don't, you know? And I thought, wow, I could, really? Yeah, he said, that's, that's what the issue. And I, I have seen it become one of the most divisive things that can divide families. And then conversely, I've seen funerals where I hadn't done one of these, my dad did, but this culture, a certain culture, will put money in the casket with the person when they die. And I said, you're kidding. Oh, no, 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 he said, Bill, tens of thousands of dollars they put in the casket cash. They just walk by and throw money in there. It's kind of a party. You just rent the funeral home and you, you just, you, it's a party. And they have an open bar. So you kind of see where it's going. And, uh, <laughs> and part of the culture is uh, they believe that the money will travel with the deceased as they go into their next life. So they throw cash in there. So I asked my dad, I said, well, what? Why don't you guys collect that cash and just throw a check in there? I don't know, he didn't do that, he didn't think it was funny. Y'all laughed a lot more than he did, he thought that was kinda. But the point is that you can't take it with you, you know? Here's what I know with all the funerals that I've done. <clears throat> I've never seen one U-Haul getting pulled behind a hearse. <laughs> you cannot take it with you. That's why it's so important that we, we manage everything God, because God, God's only gonna hold me accountable for what he's given me, that's it. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I've blown it on occasion. I've I just blown it. I've, I've messed up. I hadn't managed it well. I tried to correct the course and fix it. I, I just, perfection hasn't ever been a part of my life, so that's my saving grace. And I admire people who never make mistakes. I just hadn't been one of them. But I'm just saying I've tried to learn from the mistakes. I've tried to correct the course, learn from it, do right by it. But here's what I know, guys. At the end of the day, God will only hold me and you accountable for what we did with what we had. That's it. Just what we did with what he had. Remember the guy that got one talent, Matthew, one that got two, one that got five? Different talents, and he only held them accountable for what they did with what they had. By the way, this refutes Jesus being a socialist because when he came back, uh, he saw the one that had doubled. They took the five, made it 10. The one that doubled, took the two, made it four. And then the one that only had one did nothing with it. He didn't take it and distribute it equally among all three. 
Instead, he blessed the one that did right with what he had. He blessed the other that did right with what he had. And he chastised the one that did nothing with what he had. And the, one of the principles of the parable is God blesses generosity. So be generous with yourself. Be generous with your family. Be generous with your business. Be a generous person. And as a pastor, I'd say consider being generous with your church. God will bless you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that as a church, we embrace generosity. We try to be a giving church, a loving church, a church that tries to respond to the needs of our community, a church that tries to respond to the needs of our membership. And Father, with thousands and thousands of people who call this church their home, I pray, Father, you'll give us wisdom as we go forward to learn how to be even more generous in helping people, loving people. As we prepare, Father, to occupy the new resource center, give us just creative ways to help people struggling with mental illness, to help people who are broken and struggling with making ends meet and needing their grocery bill lifted from their family budget. To give us wisdom, Lord, as we address people who are being evicted from their homes and need a place to stay. There's so many things, Father, that our resource center is going to afford us to do moving forward. And so, Lord, I, I, I just pray as a church, we can be generous in our love and our response to people when they're hurting. Father, I, I, I ask now for anyone in the room or anyone watching who may never have trusted you as their Savior. I pray this might be the moment where they humble their heart, where they say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.